All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Lord, as we come to your word and as we spend time in this gospel passage, we pray, Lord, that we could see your son, Jesus Christ, as the bread come down from heaven, the one who is true provision, the true satisfaction, and the one who can give us true and abiding life, indeed, the one who can raise us up out of death into the promise of resurrected life. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Early on in the pandemic last year, I noticed that uh, a lot of people, I wasn't one of these people, wanted to watch uh, pandemic movies, (laughs) like Contagion and some of these other ones, and and read post-apocalyptic pandemic books. I was not one of these people, but one such book that I had read before the pandemic enjoyed a resurgence during the pandemic. It's this novel, Station Eleven, by Emily St. John Mandel. And it was a very well-regarded book beforehand, but a lot of people really attached to it during, during COVID. One reason is that it's a very pandemic-driven plot. There's a strand of the flu that goes around the world and kills a lot of people, and there's a surviving band of people who uh, congregate in Canada, which is, I know Dave's there right now. It, I can say it. It's the ultimate post-apocalyptic landscape. Is it not? It's the perfect setting for such a novel. But in this novel, there is a roving band of Shakespearean actors. And they have a caravan, and they travel around the hellscape, and they perform Shakespeare's plays. They're called the Traveling Symphony, and on the side of their caravan is written this phrase, because survival is insufficient. Why do we roam around in this dangerous landscape Why do we perform art? Why do we bring Shakespeare to bear in this new world? Because survival is insufficient. As I said last week, talking about the first part of John 6, human beings are creatures who yearn for more. So survival for us is just base level, but we want more. Our hearts desire more. Indeed, our hearts desire the eternal. As the book of Ecclesiastes says, eternity is in our hearts. So we crave meaning and we crave connection. So that phrase resonates. Survival is insufficient. 
It's not enough merely to survive. That's not what it is to be fully human. In our first reading from Deuteronomy, we have a similar sentiment. Moses is talking to the people of Israel as they stand at the boundary line of the promised land. Moses is not going with them. And he's giving them his valediction, his last set of words. He's re-narrating the law to them. He's re-narrating what God has accomplished to bring them to this moment. And this particular passage is interesting because it talks about what God was up to during the 40 years in the wilderness. What was the 40 years in the wilderness about? And we see from this passage in Deuteronomy 8 that there was a whole lot going on more than mere survival. They were being formed and shaped. They were being tested and prepared to become the kind of people who were ready to inhabit the land of milk and honey. And that's what God says. I tested you. I formed you. I shaped you. I provided for you so that you would trust in me over and over and over again. So Moses reminds them, God gave you manna every day. Your shoes didn't wear out. You were able to survive But the Lord gave you something more than bread. He also gave you his word. And this is the greatest lesson of the wilderness for the people of Israel. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We can go back to our original phrase. Why is it that we do not live by bread alone? Because survival is insufficient. We're made for more than mere bread. So the Lord tested them. He prepared them. And now he's bringing them into a land of abundance. Listen to this description. It's a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. No more manna. The instant you cross the boundary line into the promised land, there's no more manna because this is a land of abundance, and I have prepared you to enter into this land. I mentioned Deuteronomy Eight, because all of those dynamics are at play in the background of John chapter 6. We're taken back into the wilderness, and we're taken back to a conversation with a new Moses talking to a new generation of God's people about what real provision is and what they truly need. So before we get into John 6, I'm going to plug a book that we're reading for public theology because it's in the background of what I'm talking about here. This is the book. Enjoying the Bible, Literary Approaches to Loving the Scriptures by Matthew Mullins. He teaches literature, um, but he's also a theologian as well. Part of what this book is about is learning to read the Bible as literature. Learning to see, take John for instance, he's not just a gospel writer, he's not just a theologian, he's also a literary artist. And he's drawing on these ancient stories, these ancient texts. But there's an even larger framework, which is that there's a divine author of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation weaving together history and the events of his people to bring about the coming of his son. And of course, that is in play in John chapter 6, because what does Jesus say? I am the bread that has come down from heaven. I am the fulfillment of your longing. I am true manna. I am true and living bread. And the bread that Jesus offers is not just bread for survival. It's bread for salvation. 
It's bread for the abundance of life. He has come to offer his salvation. He has come to offer life and life abundantly. He comes to us to offer eternal life. And so there is a kind of analogy. If regular bread sustains earthly life, then we need heavenly bread to sustain heavenly life, eternal life. So in these verses that we have from John chapter 6, Jesus begins to describe why he is indeed the one who comes down from heaven and why he can be trusted to feed us in this way, to feed us in a way that is about more than mere survival. And part of what's going on in this passage, there's, there's deep mystery, there's deep theological mystery in this passage, and I'm not going to get to all of it. We can talk about those things in coffee. But free will, what's going on? Eternal salvation, can you lose your salvation? All those questions are in the background. I'm not going to talk about any of that. I'm going to talk about something else. So you can leave if you're disappointed that I'm not talking about that. But part of what's going on is when Jesus says, I have come to do the will of the one who sent me. The point is not that he has one will and the Father has another will and the Father won out, so now Jesus is doing it. The point is that those two wills are perfectly aligned that the Father sends the Son into the world as a gift to the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that who should ever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's all tied together. So the will of the Father and the will of the Son are perfectly aligned, and that's so important to understanding what's going on in this passage. So when he says, all the Father gives to me will come to me, he's saying, I'm doing God's work, and when you come to me, you're really coming to him because it's one and the same dynamic. And then Jesus says this astonishing thing in verse 39. He starts talking about raising people up on the last day. (laughs) What are you talking about, Jesus? He speaks of himself as the one who is resurrection life. And that is the coda to everything because the final calamity that we all must go through is death. And if we're not ultimately raised up from that, then we can have the nice warm fuzzies of life here. But we will not be delivered to the other side. So when Jesus says, I am the one who will raise them up, he's saying something astonishing. Because for those who are listening to him, they would have some expectation of resurrection, but they wouldn't think of a person being the one who brings about that reality. So verse 40, we have... This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is what the Gospel of John is all about. When John tells us late in his Gospel that the whole point of his Gospel is this, I have written these things so that you might believe, and then in believing, you might have life in his name. And what kind of life? Abundant life, lasting life, eternal life, resurrection life. In fact, what John says is that to know God is eternal life, not just a state of being, but a relationship. And that if we are united to God, who is himself the living one, then we too will live. So notice the movement in this passage. We started about talking about, hey, Jesus, it was really great when you fed 5,000 people. And then from that, they moved to Let's talk about manna. Who, 
Who did manna really come from? Well, it came from God. I'm going to tell you about real manna. I'm the real manna. I'm the living bread that has come down from heaven. And guess what? If you eat this bread, you will, you shall never die. That's why we say what we say when we serve you the elements, right? This is the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. May they keep you in eternal life. It's all from the gospel of John in John chapter 6. You're going to have to come next week to get the real payoff where Jesus starts talking about cannibalism. So that will be fun too. So Jesus understands that in promising us life, he must deliver us from the ultimate calamity, which is death itself. Because otherwise it's just a platitude. Otherwise it's just, oh, that's great. You made me feel good. But if he cannot deliver us from our final enemy death, then why should we believe in him? And within the passage itself, there's some obstacles to accepting this offer from Christ. The first is just straight up unbelief, but the second one is grumbling, which is sort of the outward speaking face of unbelief. Both unbelief and grumbling are a failure to see Jesus as he is before them. They can't see past what they perceive to be his humble origins. So Jesus says, I'm the bread that come down from heaven. And they said, wait a minute. We know your mom and dad. You're not from heaven. You're from Nazareth. (laughs) What are you talking about? And they can't see past that circumstance. And so they're caught in their grumbling. And grumbling instantly takes us back to the wilderness generation, to the people of God asking, can God set a table for us in the wilderness? Can God be trusted? Yeah, he gave us water from a rock, but can he really feed us? Oh, Jesus, yeah, you fed us. You filled a blind guy. You've done some great stuff. I heard that wine trick was pretty cool, but we know your mom and dad. You're not from heaven. How can you be this one that you're talking about? So they grumble. And Jesus' response is very interesting. He quotes Scripture back to them. He quotes Isaiah 54, verse 13. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. I mentioned this book about literary approaches to the Bible. One of the things that's really interesting to do is when the New Testament quotes a snippet of the Old Testament is to go back and read the whole section. If you're up for it this week, go and read Isaiah 54 um, and look at the dynamics of everything that Jesus might be drawing on when he quotes this passage. But we can think of the way that he quotes it, that they shall be taught by the Lord as the promise of God to be in the midst of his people to teach his people. I believe that Jesus is using the scriptures to speak about his incarnation, to speak of himself as the word made flesh who dwells among the people and teaches them who God is and what he's like. He's the bread come down from heaven, the incarnate word who is the bread that feeds the world, who is for the life of the world, And so he's the fulfillment to this promise in Isaiah chapter 54 that God has sent in his love his son into the world to show the world the face of God, that in Christ we have beheld the face of God. No one has seen God, but the son has seen the father, and if we have seen him, we have seen the father as well. 
I am the bread that comes down from heaven. I am the provision of God, and I offer so much more than mere survival. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that he offers meaning and depth, fulfillment of our deepest desires, that he has come to offer us abundant life, eternal life, so that bread leads to life, leads to resurrection, which is all of what is in play when he talks about eternal life. And the punchline of the passage is he begins to talk about his flesh. But like I said, that's for next week. The cannibal bits. Unless you drink my blood, unless you eat my flesh, you have no part of me. That's the punchline next week. So Jesus is the one who came down from heaven. He's sent by the Father on the mission of God to draw people to himself. The Son of Man will be lifted up and he will draw men to himself. This passage of the bread coming down from heaven speaks in a vivid way of God's movement towards us. So much of spirituality and so much of religion can get tied up with us moving towards God. And we use this image of an ascent, of us climbing the mountain, of us climbing the ladder, and there's certainly a dimension of the spiritual life that those images capture. But the fundamental reality of Christianity is that God moves towards us, that God is on a mission towards us, that Jesus comes to draw us to the Father, to give us life, to feed us, to nourish us, to conform us to his image. And so him coming down from heaven is a vivid description of God's movement towards us. But so too is this promise that he will be that which gives life for the world. And I can't help but think of what Jesus says of himself later in the Gospel of John, which is that he is the seed, the grain of wheat that falls into the earth and dies and then bursts forth into life and that fruitfulness is how that we enjoy life. So Jesus is pointing in a way towards his own death. He is that grain of wheat that falls into the ground and then in dying brings forth what makes the bread of life possible for us to eat. So how do we get that life? We can only get that life through the death of the Son. How is it that we are delivered from the calamity of death ourselves ultimately and raised up to new life through the death of the Son? And that's the alignment of the Father and the Son. They're on the same page. That Jesus, as a gift to the world, comes to accomplish the will of the whole Trinity. He's not in opposition to the Father or to the Spirit. He's not doing his own thing that God somehow is like, okay, we'll make this work. It's, the, it's in the heart of God from eternity past that the lamb would be slain and give life to the world. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Survival is insufficient. So what I want to say, I mean, in the context of us being a few weeks away, moving down the street, going to Redeemer Bible, having Sunday morning worship at 9 a.m., we're in a time where we're thinking about God's presence, where we're thinking about God's provision as being the one who can provide for us, give us the things that we need, that we, that we truly need to worship him and to honor him, to be his people. And I want to say in the context of this passage that living with Christ and living as his people is about way more than mere survival. 
than just scraping by. And that might seem like a strange thing coming out of a global pandemic or dipping back in or wherever it is we are right now with this whole thing. But God is about way more than our mere survival. He is about the abundance of life. And God takes seriously that we have appetites for meaning, for belonging, for connection. He takes seriously that we are desiring creatures because he made us as such. And Jesus says, I am that which truly satisfies. But this is how I really want to end. I want to end by saying, let's not be too hard on these grumblers in this passage. (laughs) Because sometimes I count myself among them. And maybe you do too. God, what are you doing? What's going on? This doesn't make sense. I know you say one thing and I'm experiencing something else. How do I reconcile those things? I've personally been thinking a lot about the dynamic of our faith that we can call the now and not yet. That as people who are in Christ, we enjoy certain benefits of our salvation now. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We've been given gifts by the Spirit. We've been given life. But the fullness of everything that God promises is yet to come. That's the not yet. There's a now part and there's a not yet part. And I'm getting sick of the not yet part. (laughs) Maybe you have those days too. I'm getting so sick of the not yet part and feeling like there's just more and more not yet and less and less now. That's what the world feels like sometimes. And in my darker moments, when I get sucked into doom scrolling, whatever, (laughs) maybe you've been there too. I just feel the weight of the not yet. And it's not just about what's out there. I feel the weight of the now and not yet in my own heart that yes, I've felt the grace of God and I've experienced his goodness and his love. And then sometimes I'm like, eh, whatever. You know, I live in a way that doesn't perfectly align with these truths. And I know that you do too because I know that you're human. So I'm tired of my own failures and I'm tired of the disappointments around me. And I'm tired of the ways that powerful people often act with what seems like impunity, just getting away with stuff. So I want more now, now. and less not yet. And we can pray for that, and God in his grace, he'll give us glimmers of the not yet to come, but it's what keeps us in the mindset that we actually are still in the wilderness because we don't have the fullness yet. So we shouldn't be so hard on the grumbles, grumblers. They're, they're us. I'm outing myself. Maybe you're, you've never grumbled in your life. Sorry to imply that you have. It's just me. But what this leads me to remember is that Jesus taught us to pray for daily bread (laughs) as beggars because we can't give it to ourselves. So that prayer, the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, where we ask him to give us this day our daily bread, it's just a reminder that we are stuck in the tension of the now and not yet. And I think Sometimes we can get overwhelmed one side or the other. We can get so much now that we actually forget God because it's going so great. And we get so much not yet that all we're doing is lamenting. But there's a give and a take. There's a push and a pull. And if we can abide with him and if we can pray in earnest expectation that as beggars he can feed us with daily bread, then I believe that he will honor that.
as physical creatures, as people who crave meaning, the Eucharist, this table, is a reminder to us that God feeds his people even as they are on pilgrimage, even as they are in the midst of the wilderness, even as we live now in the not yet. The now and not yet, the push and the pull of that. It's okay to feel that tension. I hope that you do. Uh, because it shows that there's more to come, that there's a part of the creed that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the resurrection of the dead. There's a lot in there that hasn't happened yet. We haven't gotten the third part of the trilogy or, or whatever sequence, if you think of it as movies, but we're waiting. And in the here and now, we need to be fed and we need to be fed with more than bread. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Survival is insufficient. I don't wanna just be surviving, and I know you don't either. So let's pray together and ask God to meet us in our hunger. Holy God, I thank you for this word, and I thank you for the promises it contains. And I know, Lord, and I acknowledge that there's so much in it that we haven't experienced yet. The fullness of that eternal life, the fullness of the resurrection life that you promise. So help us in the here and now, help us in the not yet to trust in you. I pray for myself, Lord, that you would forgive my own grumblings. And I pray, Lord, that I could humble myself, that we could humble ourselves before you and simply ask for our daily bread. And trust, Lord, that you can provide for us. We ask this in the name of your Son, 